Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Shop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau sports section. My name is Logan Grutchfield. I'm the host of Talk and Shop. And along with me today, I have Erica LaFloria, who writes with me at the FSU. Um, and for our loyal listeners, I want to apologize for the incredibly inaccurate predictions that I made last week. I was on, I, they really let me come on air and say, oh, I think, you know, James Blackman will be running the show here. Jordan Travis, just a gimmicky guy. You only see him on options, not a good passer. I don't, I don't see him carving out a role in this offense, you know, and then Tate and Chubba, I don't think we'll see them too soon. And here we are. Jordan Travis is now the starting quarterback for Notre Dame, put up a whale of a game at least for him um last saturday against jacksonville state and i mean not the cleanest win not the cleanest win that you could have seen for fsu but still a win nonetheless mike norvell officially has his first win as head coach of florida state and i once again look like a fool so um hopefully this week i mean we at least know who the starting quarterback is it'll be jordan travis um, coming to get up against Notre Dame and Erica, I just want to ask you what um, what kind of expectations do you have for this FSU offense coming into the game? Going into the game against Notre Dame, I'm going to be completely honest and say I do not have high expectations for this team. <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. I was definitely proud of Jordan Travis's um, game against Jacksonville State, but he did what was expected of him. That's why, you know, I feel FSU fans shouldn't celebrate that win way too much because you were supposed to beat Jacksonville State, you know? Yeah. We're the ACC team. We're FSU. We were the 2013 national champions, and we are celebrating a win. Yeah. Yeah, and we're celebrating a win against the Jacksonville State team who – hasn't even played a game until they met us this season. So going into the Notre Dame game, I truly can't say I'm that optimistic. They're the number five team in the nation. We're going to be stuck with Jordan Travis because James Blackman has proven that he can't produce in this season. I just, that's the thing. I don't have too much optimism, but anything can happen. We saw it with Texas and Oklahoma, anything can happen, but I don't know. <laughs> you know, and this is this is why we get Erica on the show. You know, she always <laughs> good at checking me. I have my rose-colored glasses on when we started, and I am glad that you said, all right, Logan, you are full of it once again. <laughs> so um, I was glad to see, you know, coming back. Uh, granted, as Erica said, against not the best competition, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are hyping up the Seminoles after – you know, only a a two and a half possession victory Mm -hmm. against an FCS team. Um, If somebody had said five years ago that we're in this spot as a football program, I think I would have, I would have laughed out loud, but you know, what I was glad to see is it did look like last week, um, some of FSU's receivers that had been kind of MIA the past few weeks to and Terry, Mm -hmm. especially I was looking back at the the game against Miami and I was like, where's his name? why did he just not get targeted? Did he, was he just dropping the ball? What, what was going on here? And I know Blackman and him did not always seem to be on the same page. You know, and I was like, I know Terry is fast, 
Blackman's got a big mm-hmm. arm, and yet, you know, the, the ball always seemed to be five yards away from where Terry was. And now I don't know if that was always on, on Tamorian Terry or if that was on James Blackman. But whatever the case, it did seem like Jordan Travis and in a limited role, Tate Rodemacher were able to make that connection and get them involved. Ontario Wilson also showing back up. Um, I was hoping to see Cameron McDonald, the tight end, mm-hmm. um, get a little more action. Uh, but again, uh, a win is a win. I'm not going to complain about who's doing what. <laughs> but I mean, he did seem, at least for Blackman, maybe now his role could change with just the different comfort levels of each quarterback mm-hmm. with the receiver. But he seemed like the real kind of safety valve passing option for James Blackman. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what we'll see out of him coming going forward. I hope to see him. I think he's a real stud. But the other thing in this offense that really made me happy was this rushing attack. The te- the, the coordinators really seem like they've managed to put together a pretty solid, you know, balance of who to turn to. Lawrence Toafili, uh, another legend out of the 727 out of Pinellas County, Florida. <laughs> I got to mention that on the episode. Uh, 99 rushing yards for him. Um, and Ja'Shawn Corman and LaDamian Webb, excuse me, they seemed like, you know, they had a pretty good balance going, good uh, change of pace. Uh, Webb had uh, two of the four rushing touchdowns on the day, and five, excuse me, I forgot about Jordan Travis's. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I think it is looking pretty good. We're not having to look at, like, the past few years where Cam Akers was (laughs) essentially the entire team. Um, And Erica, how do you think – that rushing balance might play out coming going into Notre Dame. Yes. First, I wanted to say, oh, for the days of Cam Akers. I miss those days where he was our number one and basically our only one. But, yeah, now we're definitely seeing the crown pass down, but to many guys. The difference now is yeah. that we're not relying on just one running back to take control like Cam Akers did. This time we're seeing multiple guys step up to the plate and even having the quarterback – you know, take those options. If he sees a hole, he's going to go for it. And that's really what I like about Jordan Travis is I saw that a lot in the Jacksonville State game where he just – he would see an opportunity and he took it. Um, And I definitely see that with the rest of the running team for FSU. But it's to the point where I would like to see some consistency. Because with Cam Akers, yeah. we had our number one. And honestly, truly, that was what we needed. We needed one guy to be very good at his job. But now we're passing it to multiple guys, going 99 yards, going 55, 63, 48, with multiple players, but we're not developing one running back to lead the team to where we want them to be. And that's the only problem I have, because to me, that illustrates the quarterback problem where we have James Blackman in or is Jordan Travis going to be in or are we going to see Chuba? The problem I see a lot with FSU is the inconsistency to be able to rely on one person on running back and one person at quarterback. So. I, I, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, personally, I don't mind at least – I see what you're saying in college, you know, for player development, mm-hmm. I think it might be if you do have a guy who, and Florida State had done a really good job of this in the past with with Cam Akers, with uh, before him, Dalvin Cook, and then before Dalvin, we had uh, Devontae Freeman, mm-hmm. and they were kind of the bell, the bell cow backs, you know, it was like, all right, 
you know, first two downs, you know, if all hell breaks loose, you know, we can just kind of dump the ball off Mm -hmm. to them. And the running back by committee here that we've got going on, um, I mean, if it works, it works. It's maybe not the most thrilling thing from a fan standpoint. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, when you've got three guys that can reliably put up four or five yards of carry, Lawrence Tolafili putting up eight yards of carry for what must be the second or third game in a row. Um, I know he had a fantastic game against uh, Miami. Mm -hmm. It's one of the – basically the only bright spot in that game. So, um, I mean, I think if you got three guys that you can kind of mix it up and and then don't forget Jordan Travis is in that mix. I mean, he had the – I mean, it seems like they really spread the ball around to three solid backs and then uh, Jordan Travis still getting 11 carries in that mix. Um, This could be a really fun offense, you know, even if it's a real departure Mm -hmm. from what we've seen the last few years which was, especially in the Willie Taggart offense, it seemed to be, you know, run and screen pass, and that yeah. was it. Um, you know, not a whole lot going on, but that definitely seemed to more be a more pass-heavy offense than what we're seeing at least now with uh, Norvell. And, and that was a very kind of binary. It's, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of option funny stuff going on like we've got now. But, I mean, Jordan Travis, and that was what I was worried about with him, was he was, he was good for kind of these, you know, gimmicky run-pass option plays. But I didn't know if he was really had the skills as a passer that the team needed. And I'm glad to be proven wrong. You know, there was a lot of things that I was proven wrong about (laughs) last week. I am very glad to be proven wrong about Jordan Travis and uh, for the comments that I made about the various aspects of his Mm -hmm. game. So but overall, what you said about consistency, that's a point that I kind of want to get back Mm -hmm. to a little bit, because what I've seen. Granted, we are only three games in to the Norvell era. You know, we played Georgia Tech. We played Miami, who seems like they're on their way back to national prominence and Jacksonville State, an FCS team. But kind of the missing link almost is FSU seems like they've got a lot of guys that have just undisputed individual talent. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Jordan Jordan Travis, kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy. James Blackman, I think you could say he's still a good pocket passer, even if he's inconsistent. And then you look on defense, you've got, you know, great skill guys. Like we've got Amari Gaynor's having a great year. Asante Samuel's having a great year. But when you look at the, a lot of these units as a whole, it's been kind of disappointing. Like I, I'm thinking you look at like Marvin Wilson, no one would say Marvin Wilson's a, a bad player, but I mean, the defensive line, I think has been one of the more disappointing position groups if i if i had to speak candidly about this fsu team and i mean even for the defense as a whole i don't know that besides asante samuel's been having a great season gainer's been having a great season he's made some big hits but i mean overall it doesn't seem like these groups are always on the same frequency and it doesn't seem like the whole team is on the same frequency a lot of the time yeah i definitely agree with that because when you look at Notre Dame, who FSU is going to play on Saturday, you see Ian Book at quarterback. And it's known he's a pro-style quarterback. But the way he meshes with his receivers and his tight ends and Tommy Treble and Brock Wright, the way they mesh together, they play as a complete team. The Notre Dame offense is very put together, in my opinion. But when I look at FSU, I do see that individualism you're talking about where, you know, James Blackman is trying to get rid of the ball. So he just 
just is going to rush into a situation and then sometimes it ends up the worst possible situation whether that be interception or you know whatever and that's the difference I see that's going to come on Saturday with Notre Dame is the individualism that FSU just keeps insisting on playing versus we're going to see a very well put together team that we probably haven't seen like it yet this season because at the end of the day Miami was still developing and they still ended up beating FSU awfully and now we're going to be facing the number five team in the nation Notre Dame who is known to have a team that is put together that works together and that can make it work and that's that's definitely something I'm afraid of for FSU and something that FSU is going to have to work on as the season progresses and as we play North Carolina and as we play Clemson, it's the individualism of the team that I have definitely noticed be our biggest downfall. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I always think about, you, you know, you get a bit, a bit of a clue of this in the coverage that you see leading up to these games. And we always see, especially on the offensive line and the defensive line, I always seem to see headlines like, watch for a big game from Marvin Wilson. Watch for a big game from Robert Cooper. Watch for a big game. You know, oh, Devontae Love-Taylor is going to have a, a great day on the offensive line. You know, and they might, you know, but it's like then it's a dud overall from the entire unit. And so I, I don't know that, you know, these individual skill players are all, you know, very talented guys. I can't dispute that mm-hmm. at all but I don't know that everybody's kind of on the same page all the time um, of playing at an optimal level. And then the thing that does worry me now is as these subpar seasons kind of stack up for Florida state, I don't want to get too, you know, pessimistic about what's going on in the future, but from a recruiting standpoint, that's how you start to get really behind the Mm -hmm. eight ball. And I was, you know, we've, it seems like there's always kind of that backdrop of, oh, you know, some uh, backups transferring, somebody's transferring here or there or wherever uh, out of Tallahassee. And just looking at over half of Willie Taggart's uh, inaugural 2018 receiving class is no longer with the uh, recruiting class, excuse me, not receiving class, uh, is no longer with yeah. the team. You know, I mean, if they can see, if for them, they're seeing the writing on the wall to that degree, mm-hmm. that you know, at a certain point, it's, I mean, you got to start turning it around quick. I mean, I think it's, everyone matters, obviously, but especially more so in college football where you're only having guys for two, three years at a time. So, I mean, this is where the heat cranks up. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yes, for Notre Dame, I'm just thinking uh, the big takeaways, I think they've always had great tight ends. You talk about the kid, Tommy Tremble. Um, they always seem like you just look at some random team in the NFL. Oh yeah. Kyle Rudolph. Oh, of course you went mm-hmm. to Notre Dame. Um, they've always been good at turning that out. But I think now this year, last year they had Chase Claypool at wide receiver. And I think he was one of those guys that could kind of offset flaws in Ian books game, you know, just cause he was so physical. So such a mis- uh, mismatch for all of his competition that, you know, if Ian Book was overthrowing him or underthrowing him or or whatever, he was just able to run all over whoever was covering mm-hmm. him and, you know, make those plays that could kind of offset Ian Book's play. But still, um, the two tight end combo that Notre Dame has been running this season, 
Uh, they seem like they've been able to fill that void very well. Um, I do think I want to watch Asante Samuel. Uh, I want to keep an eye on him and on the FSU secondary this week. Um, just because I think there's no clear number one guy, maybe in treble, I take that back. But there's no wide receivers that are really standing mm-hmm. out to me as like, wow, you know, they are going to be killing it. So I think Asante Samuel could do very, very well this week. Um, overall, though, I think you've done a good job of tempering my expectations. Um, <laughs> I don't think that – I think it's early for me to say we'll see a win, especially against a team as highly ranked as Notre Dame. But I do think that there are areas of FSU's mm-hmm. play if we could see not a total yeah. collapse from the offensive line, if we could see a little bit of a pass rush, um, you know, so we don't have, we're not giving Ian book all day long in the pocket to just, you know, pick and choose, you know, up to you, who do you want to throw to? Um, And, you know, we're not having the asking the linebackers in the secondary to just, you know, run the show. Um, I think FSU could hold them off at least for a little while. Um, Now I'm thinking prediction wise, or first, is there anything else you want to focus on on this Notre Dame team? Um, I know you had a few things in One mind. One thing I do want to say is not giving too much credit to Notre Dame. I'm going to go the opposite way with this one. Um, in the Duke versus Notre Dame game, I did notice something with Ian Book that I definitely think FSU can attack on. And it is his accuracy problems. When it comes to being put in a hard position, I've noticed that Ian Book always goes for the safest throw. And especially in the Duke versus Notre Dame game, we saw a couple overthrows and we saw just complete shambles at some point for him when it came to being pressured by the defense. And that's definitely something I think FSU can capitalize on is allowing to pressure him, but also having those guys like Asante to sit there and see the moment and take it. Because even in the Georgia Tech game at the beginning of the season with FSU, I saw a defense that I was actually very proud of, even though the game didn't come out how everybody wanted it to. The defense was still strong and still held up for as long as they could. It was the offense that couldn't deliver that Georgia Tech game, as many people know. But when it came to the defense, there were a lot of things that I definitely think they could give Notre Dame a run for their money in a certain aspect but yeah I just I'm optimistic for this game but also I am realistic when it comes to what I think the end result will be on Saturday and that's good I I try to be optimistic (laughs) I think sometimes I miss the second half of that equation as you just mentioned (laughs) there um you know but this week you know I may be optimistic but I have not totally yeah. stupid so despite what my comments uh last week might have reflected um so anyways prediction wise i know the spread is uh notre dame is favored is favored by almost three touchdowns mm-hmm. uh if you were to go with the uh score prediction erica uh what would you be thinking i thought this one through and i can say it is nicer than the intro that I led everybody in with, but um, I'm going to go Notre Dame 45, FSU 17. I'm being very nice with even giving FSU 17 points, but at the end of the day, this is going to be in South Bend, Indiana. Everybody knows that's one of the craziest 
stadiums to walk into, and FSU might score a few. Defense might hold up as much as they can, but I'm going to have to go 45 to 17. That's that is true. And when you talk about that stadium, I went to Notre Dame for the Florida State mm-hmm. game a couple of years ago, and I was amped up. I'm not going to lie; I wanted to go in there and just you know be like, "Oh gosh, I really hate, I really hate the mm-hmm. Irish." You know, we're going to just you know beat the snot out of them. And it is an intimidating place to go into. I am not going to lie, but those fans yeah. were some of the nicest fans that I've ever. Yeah, had. absolutely. I, I wanted to go in there and just you know hate them <laughs> and really you know practically duke it out with someone in the stands. You know, just to stay warm. It was 25 degrees when we were there, but we're leaving. It was like, oh yeah. Uh, those uh, Seminoles, they're having a great game today. You guys, you know, you got a lot to look yeah. forward to. And uh, that aspect might not have been true. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is, you know, they're definitely, you know, got the Midwestern niceness mm-hmm. going on. But it is, and I don't know, I, I don't think there are fans. Or if there are, it's, it's I minimal. I believe there are. Uh, yeah, so it'll, I think that advantage might be minimized mm-hmm. a little bit. But, you know, still, it's it's not an easy place to go into. Um, you all know me at this point. I'm going to be a little optimistic, maybe too much so. Uh, I think Notre Dame is going to, you know, be kind of keying up on weak spots in the FSU secondary. I think they're going to put up uh, 42 points. Okay. And I think I think we're going to see a little bit of an offensive, I say offensive renaissance. <laughs> I, I'm going to say 42-24 for okay. State. Or Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Excuse me, I am not <laughs> fooled. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying Florida State's putting up 42 on Notre Dame, but uh, I, I hope mm-hmm. I am pleasantly surprised. Okay, I, I could, I could agree with that to, to an extent. <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. To an extent. So, uh, I hope that doesn't mean that you think I'm an idiot and then just yeah. too nice to say. <laughs> so, um. So what I want to turn to now, though, um, is another football in a sense but uh one that fsu has been doing great in and that is Mm -hmm. fsu soccer um and a couple games last week uh we recorded our episode before their game against virginia tech and i was i remember noting that florida state had never lost in blacksburg and that remains true florida state defeated virginia tech for nothing but i thought wake forest would give them a run for their money and florida state Mm -hmm. beat them for nothing so Erica, what did you see? I mean, it looks like this team just all around is, you know, mm-hmm. a mean machine. But what, you know, is there anybody in particular that you saw that was really, you know, playing with their hair? Um, one thing I do want to take it back to is the game that happened against Virginia Tech. And I want to mention Jody Brown. Jody Brown, she has a really interesting story. She is a freshman here at FSU. Um, she is also an international player. She played in high school right outside of Orlando, but she hails from Jamaica. And back in 2018, she actually was a part of the Jamaican team that became the first country in the Caribbean to qualify for the World Cup. So seeing that we have oh, these wow. talents here at FSU just further, you know, solidifies why we're one of the top ranked teams in the nation. When it comes to soccer, everybody knows FSU soccer is, it's a powerhouse. And this year is no different considering we have not lost a game. And the teams that we play are actually really yeah. good. And it's the way that FSU makes Wake Forest and makes Virginia Tech look like 
they aren't even in the same competition as them. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's crazy absolutely. that the team is so successful given all the circumstances they had to go through and not, you know, being able to have the normal summer practices. And you honestly cannot tell the difference with this Florida State soccer team because I watched them play all last season. And in their final game versus UCLA, that was a team, once they left the field after their loss, I knew, I was like, no, they're not going to let that happen next year. And even though we're only in ACC play this year and most likely going to have the tournament on hold till the spring, I still see the same hunger from that FSU soccer team that I saw last year and that we saw the year before. And this definitely looks like another national championship team. I can safely say that. They, this looks like another national championship team here at FSU. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And when I've talked to, I talked to, um, Emily Modrell, who's uh, back for her, I guess, technically her mm-hmm. sophomore season because she redshirted two years with injuries, but she's been around for four years. And I talked to Christina Rowe, the freshman uh, goalkeeper, who, I mean, she's hasn't a lot of goal. I mean, she's not, you know, I think the defense in front of her is, is you know, mm-hmm. playing their butts off. I mean, she's only had to, you know, deal with one or two shots a game. But still, you know, a shutout's a shutout. Um, and both of them said, I mean, just the atmosphere is the team wants mm-hmm. to win. They're pretty professional about it. I mean, for a group of essentially amateur athletes, um, they're very professional about it. They know they want to win. And even now with the playoff structure being altered, the goal is the same. And they mm-hmm. attack it the same way. Even if it's not, you know, the same pomp and circumstance that you might expect, they're still going after, you know, we want to just beat the snot out of, everyone playing even if it's just ACC you know mm-hmm. that doesn't matter who it is you know so I think yeah just the the drive from this team um and just the depth overall I mean it's Jody Brown is you know getting some action and she she's looking great uh when when I had Matt on last week he said that Yuji Zhao he wanted to see her be like Dana Castellanos mm-hmm. in years past and just just creating opportunities you know, converting, scoring opportunities, and she's been doing that and more. And I see. I feel like every time I'm going through a score sheet, it's Yuji Zhao. You know, nice little assist. Yuji Zhao, here's a nice feed mm-hmm. shot. Oh, goal! Emily Mojo or Jalen Howell or something like that. You know, I mean, she's creating opportunities. Uh, Emily Mojo. Speaking of her, I mean, after two years out with ACL tears, you wouldn't be able to tell uh, that she's just getting back into it. She's been playing great. Um, it just, I mean, all around, it doesn't really feel like, and maybe we're just biased, but I'm like, where, where are the weaknesses? I'm having a hard yeah, time. That's out. the thing I noticed about this team is that they've faced so much adversity. I remember talking to Jalen Howell before this season started and it was coming off of the summer. And she was saying that everybody in the team has just remained focused during this time. Everybody made sure to work out during the COVID break and the coaches kept on the players to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do and regardless of whatever decision the NCAA was going to make these players were still going to train and still going to practice like it was going to be a normal season and as we see now it's not a normal season but for FSU they're attacking it just like they would be playing UCLA tomorrow they're attacking it the same way they would be going against Washington. And that's one thing I have noticed about this team is that it doesn't matter the opponents. It doesn't matter the circumstances. They're still going to give it their all. And 
even throwing this back to what we were talking about with football, we talked about the individualism on the football team, but I can't say the same about the soccer team because I see how Jalen Howell is a leader for her team, but it's not just her. And it's not just, you know, yeah. not just the freshmen and Jody Brown just going to group together. They're all working together. They're all going towards the same goal. Even though some players don't have as much experience as others, at the end of the day, they're still making it work. And that's why this team is successful in regards to this season and uncertainty, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, they're doing mm-hmm. more than just making it work. I mean, they're making their opponents look like yeah. third graders out on the field half time. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'm there. They have been one of the most exciting teams to watch. Um, and then I was thinking besides that, we've got volleyball going and they rough two games mm-hmm. to start the season. Um, have you seen much uh, from them or what? I mean, Owen two was certainly not yeah. what I expected. Um, I did get to talk to, coach pool before the game um, against Georgia Tech and he was saying basically FSU is just trying to find themselves right now you know they didn't get the three months straight uh-huh. of just conditioning and strengthening the players because of COVID these players were you know relying on spending their time working out to the best of their ability and they didn't get the non-conference games that were expected and for the first game of the season to be against Georgia Tech, who finished the 2019 season number two in the ACC. It was something that I don't want to say predictable that we lost, but it was something that could have been expected considering the circumstances of the season. You know, FSU volleyball already uh-huh. didn't get to play Clemson, and that was supposed to be their first game to prepare them to go against Georgia Tech so without that game they just go straight into one of the best teams in the ACC and to see how they were adjusting I definitely think they're going to go up from here it was just it was a tough two games for FSU but I definitely think they're going to pick it up and um, do better from here that's true and I remember talking to coach Poole earlier Mm -hmm. in the season as well and I think also just we talked about it with soccer a little bit too. And uh, same thing for volleyball. When you don't have everybody around each mm-hmm. other for three months, you know, not practicing. And Coach Poole said that was the longest most of his players had gone without mm-hmm. being around the team, without practicing on a consistent basis in most yeah. of their lives, you know, for, for like for at least 10 years for a lot of them. Um, and so, I mean, I think that, no matter who it is. I mean, I think both Coach Corian for soccer and Coach Poole, I mean, they've been around mm-hmm. FSU for quite a while. I mean, I would, you know, I have a great deal of faith in both of them. But I think that just, it, it, it's such a toss-up how it could be for some players, you know, dealing with something like that where you're completely yeah. unpredictable. Um, and I think also, you know, last year we did see kind of the disappointing finish with volleyball, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where they lost to UCF to end the season. And that was, I don't know. I think that might've, I don't know. Yeah. It was a long time ago, but you know, I don't know how the, the psychological effects of, you know, getting past that, uh, you know, might yeah. have and then going out. into this so. whole COVID situation, this is not something anybody could have predicted. This is not something anyone could have helped. And I know, especially with volleyball, yeah. they do a lot of training specifically in the summertime. And to have that completely taken away from them, 
is definitely going to affect the team when they first start. And as Coach Poole was saying last week, he's just he just expects the team to build off of that. And that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to see how they do these first games, but they're going to build off of, you know, the mistakes that they made against Georgia Tech. And hopefully it'll produce on the court as the season goes on. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I think just, um, you know, for – I think also – we might be a little bit alarmist and, you know, freaking out about an 0-2 or on the opposite side with volleyball. We're like, wow, 4-0, this is amazing. Um, you know, they're great starts or, you know, they're not ideal for volleyball, but mm-hmm. they're a great start for soccer. Don't get me wrong. But I think also just the shortened season, I think, kind of puts us on a heightened level of alert. Yeah, I'm still so excited for this volleyball season. This is an extremely physical and smart team. That's one thing I can definitely say about um, FSU. And to still have Morgan Chacon there, who is such a leader for this team. And just being able to see her grow here at FSU and having that continue on to this season. I'm I'm extremely excited for what's going to happen this season and you know, 0-2 isn't a good way to start, but at the end of the day, we still have games going on, and next up is Miami. Um, that's definitely a huge game, and I'm I'm excited to see what FSU does for the rest of the season. I'm excited, too. I mean, it's we're already in October, yeah. but it's still, you know, feels yeah. like things are just beginning. And yet, here we are, we're getting into the real meat and potatoes of all <laughs> these team schedules. Um, so I think we've got a lot to look forward to. Um, any closing thoughts from you, Erica? Um, I, I think we yeah. covered our bases pretty well. So, um, but mm-hmm. I want to say thank you so much for coming on with us. I think we, you know, definitely had a, had a great talk. You know, we'll see how I, I'm glad you tempered my expectations <laughs> for this uh, Notre Dame team. And, um, you know, I will be, I'm sure that the wind will be taken out of my sails uh, pretty quickly. I'll be holding on to that little sliver of hope, but you know, I, I think your, your predictions will likely be uh, borne out. Well, uh, at the, the end of the day, up. there's nothing wrong with so, optimism. There's nothing wrong with optimism, yeah. but we do have to be realistic in certain aspects, but you know, it is better yeah. to be right. Too, <laughs> and <so>. logical. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad we got something on that can check me for once. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much, Erica, for coming on. Um, this has been another episode of Talk and Chop. Uh, come back next Thursday and we will have another exciting episode in store. Uh, but for now, thanks so much for tuning in and uh, we will see you next week. Perfect.